0: Today is the Sunday before Halloween. The theme for our service today is secular spirit. And at first glance, that might be appropriate for the purely secular spook fest that Halloween has become in the United States. We don't honor our ancestors in the same way that indigenous people do. We might put flowers on a grave or light a fresh candle in front of a photograph. But we don't put plates of food outside to bribe the evil spirits to pass by our houses. And we don't light jack-o'-lanterns so the rampaging fairies in the wild hunt won't carry us back to the spirit world with them. Our world is safe and rational. God is dead. All bets are off. But a couple of weeks ago, our own Dr. Carl Gregg reminded us that the first living tradition that Unitarian Universalists share is the direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of spirit and an openness to the forces that create and uphold life. He shared his personal experience of sudden insight that told him that Harvard Divinity School was not for him. He was very clear this was not an outside voice of God, but still a surprising, life-changing realization. We might call it a voice of destiny. Who knows? If he'd gone to Harvard, would he have followed a path that led him to us? If you look at the last page in your order of service, you will find the sixth, sources of our living tradition listed there all of those six sources use language that assumes some level of numinous experience even the humanist source warns us against idolatries of the mind and spirit some of us are especially skeptical of source number four Jewish and Christian teachings which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves It's that old time religion, that old black magic not based in reality, because life and its origins are random and meaningless. Shakespeare's Macbeth probably said it best. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Since the 17th century when René Descartes divided everything into rational beings and inanimate objects, humanity has been in a sometimes desperate search for meaning. Here in the 21st century, the United Church of Christ is about as liberal as you you can get before becoming a Unitarian and still claim traditional Christianity. And the UCC has been asking rather plaintively for the past several years, um, is God still speaking? It's a ludicrous question in the postmodern 21st century cosmological context, but it reflects that something is missing in our rational, ordered, predictable lives. In fact, it seems to me that rationality is really yet another form of that magical thinking that we so often like to accuse religious folk of being trapped in because our lives are not rational nor ordered nor predictable. In the book, The Grand Design, um, physicists Stephen Hawking and Leonard Mladenow ask three pivotal questions. Why is there something other than nothing? Why do we exist? Why this particular form of laws and not some other? Hawking and Mladenow use a two-dimensional game of life to illustrate that in a multi-dimensional universe, the law of gravity is the catalyst for spontaneously formed patterns or life forms that arise spontaneously from nothing. So we may have a clue about why we exist and how something can come from nothing, but we still don't know what it all means. We haven't answered the so what question. So we exist because we can, So what? It's still a tale told by an idiot, signifying nothing. Well, I'd like to suggest that we consider what might be called the re-enchantment or entrancement of human life. In pre-modern times, that is before the Enlightenment in the 17th century, most people experienced themselves as part of the natural world around them and took their cues for living from that natural world. And God was an imminent presence, not some transcendent manipulator. For example, Hildegard of Bingen was an abbess who lived from 1098 to 1179. Hildegard wrote the following, The air, blowing everywhere, serves all creatures. Ever is the firmament its support. Ever is it held, carried by the power of God. Without the Word of God, no creature has being. God's Word is in all creation, visible and invisible. The Word is living, being, spirit, all verdant, greening, all creativity. All creation is awakened, called by the resounding melody, God's invocation of the Word. This word manifests in every creature. Now this is how the spirit is in the flesh. The word is indivisible from God. In the prologue to the Gospel of John in both the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible and 17th century King James, we read, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The Jesus Seminar Scholars Translation goes on without personalizing that divine word. The Scholars Translation says, It was there with God from the beginning. Everything came to be by means of it, and without it, not one thing that exists came to be. In it was life, and this life was the light of humanity. As we heard in our earlier meditation written by my sister, this little light is what humanity is and I cannot hold myself apart. For Hildegard of Bingen in the 12th century to live on the earth was to be in the earth relying on the natural world, earth, air, fire and water for healing and wholeness. The 17th century Cartesian enlightenment put an end to that sense of wholeness. Rational humanity was separated out from the non-rational. Science from religion, animals and women from rational men. The Western Christian church acted very quickly to make certain that religion was just as rational as science and the stage was set for literalizing metaphor and completely missing the point. And so today, we have this incredible insistence on the part of fundamentalist, literalist Christians that Earth is 6,000 years old, that dinosaurs shared the planet with humans, and other preposterous ideas, from the virgin birth to resuscitated corpses walking out of tombs after three days. Postmodern rationality has no time for such magical thinking. We have come from a random game of life, set in motion by a physical law of attraction, and chance combinations of chemical elements determine our moral landscape. Well, Lloyd Gearing is a theologian from Wellington, New Zealand. In his recent book, which is called From Gods to God to Gaia, Gearing talks about the future of religion, given the postmodern secular cosmology of the 21st century. Lloyd Gearing writes, consider the fact that up until only two or 3,000 years ago, humans shared the world they lived in with a sky father, an earth mother, a throng of gods, and all the plants and animals of the ecosystem. Then for the next 2,000 years, they lived in a three-tiered world that featured God with all his saints and angels up in a distant heaven, Satan and all the damned relegated to the subterranean confines of hell, and humans, animals, and plants here alone on Earth. But our present knowledge has redrawn the map and the result is much like the original one except that the imaginary figures have disappeared and we are left alone with the flora and fauna. What is perhaps a more important difference is that we now recognize that we bear a godlike responsibility for the preservation and welfare of all life on the planet. Geering goes on to suggest that there is a sense in which our current situation is very similar to the pre modern relationship to the cosmos that Hildegard experienced back in the twelfth century. First, Earth has reasserted its supremacy over humans. We can certainly see that our very existence as a species of Earth creature depends on whether or not the Earth, the air, and the water continue to sustain us. Second, the the Earth is the mother of all life, at least of life on this planet. Third, Earth sustains all life. Gearing's point is that even before we have achieved the ideal of a common humanity, We are challenged to acknowledge our oneness with all life, our connectedness with the planet. It's this sense of connection relationship that leads to re-enchantment or entrancement. That word re-enchantment was a bit of a buzzword among the more mystically minded thinkers of the 1990s. People like Dr. Matthew Fox, Starhawk, even Richard Moo of Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California. And this continues today among popular seminar leaders and radio personalities such as Krista Chippett and Barbara Bradley Haggerty. We read and hear discourses on the re-enchantment of art, literature, or music. What I mean by the term is the cultivation of a sense of ourselves As existing in a matrix, a context, a wholeness, a relationship to the natural world that we cannot be separated from. When we experience that, then we might begin to experience the power of the earth, the wind, and the fire as a presence that is both within and without, that is accessible to us at a spiritual level. It is a sense of a reality that is other than our own human reality. I'm talking about what might be called magic. In a recent interview on NPR, um, to the best of our knowledge, uh, writer David Abram said this. He said, magic is at its base, nothing other than the sense that the world is alive through and through. Everything moves. The power of the earth, the wind, the fire is a presence that feels our steps and brings a sense of reciprocity. When magic is dismissed as illusion, nature itself begins to be conceived as inert and inanimate. He suggested in the interview that it's possible to sense an active agency that is other than human reality. And when we lose touch with that other reality, David Abrams says, we live more and more in our heads, online. Nature begins to fade from our awareness. It is no longer touched with lively intensity. So we can realize a mutual give and take with the powers of earth, air, fire, and water. We can experience that some other reality than our own is active perhaps even aware. For example, in the interview, David Abram talked about magic tricks, sleight of hand, making coins appear and disappear, seemingly through solid flesh. We call that dishonest trickery. And when we think about pre-modern, primitive health care in those terms, for example, the shaman with his rattles or the village wise woman with her herbs and spells we see a nightmare of dangerous illusion perpetrated by evil quacks. But sleight of hand is actually useful for healing. The purpose for the medieval healer or the tribal shaman was not to trick the patient. The purpose, from their point of view, was to trick the demon that was causing the illness. Today we might call this the placebo effect which is even more mysterious than we want to admit. Indigenous medicine people would use specific placebos for specific ailments. And the whole point, whether ancient or modern, is to get the body to react in a different way. The placebo effect, that sleight of hand magic, shocks and surprises the mind to another possibility. It gives the body a way of dropping a destructive pattern. And here's another example. In a pre-literate world, writing was an act of magic. And when you think about it in our postmodern sophisticated rational minds, writing conjures whole worlds. Writing is a kind of spell. And here's a double meaning. In order to form the correct word, you have to arrange the letters in the correct order. And in order to cast a spell, you have to arrange specific words to effect change. So reading or writing words about what's happening in, for example, Afghanistan and reading or writing words about what is necessary to achieve some kind of peaceful ending is the same action in the mind as when the village witch watches a spider and its web and uses that metaphor to resolve some specific situation in village life. The mind visualizes, imagines, and changes the circumstances. It's not enough to just wave your wand, as Harry Potter learned. You have to see your intention manifest in the world. Some of us have been watching and discussing the DVD series, Journey of the Universe, on Tuesday nights with uh, Reverend Carl. In the 1992 prequel, The Universe Story, Brian Swim and Thomas Berry insist that, quote, without entrancement within this new context of existence, it is unlikely that the human community will have the psychic energy needed for the renewal of the earth. This entrancement comes from the immediate communion of the human with the natural world a capacity to appreciate the ultimate subjectivity and spontaneities within every form of natural being. There's a wonderful video that's going viral on YouTube. It's called Baby Wolf Howl. If you make a note on your order of service and go Google it, it's absolutely wonderful. It shows an Australian man who's holding a tiny, black baby orphan wolf in his hands and he says the baby wolf's eyes aren't open yet but his ears are starting to twitch in response to sound so it's time for the man to teach the baby wolf his own language how to howl it's a perfect example of a human entering the world of an animal with the intention of teaching the animal how to live in its own world Just imagine what the baby wolf is teaching the man about how to live in his own world. That's re-enchantment. That's secular spirit.